Somebody Somewhere is a production of Rainstream Media Incorporated. This podcast investigates a murder that occurred in 2001. It is a true story, but the opinions of the hosts and interviewees are simply that, opinions, not facts. And the credibility of the witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Previously on Somebody Somewhere. I want to assure you that this murder investigation is very active. We are constantly and aggressively following leads. The people who are behind this, who did it, talked to somebody. There is somebody out there who has information. We need that citizen to come forward now. Our news partners at the Seattle Times are reporting that sources say the shooting involved a conspiracy and a hired gunman. I'm remembering a guy named Jeremiah. Any of your notes reflect that? This is special episode 15 of season one, Don't F with the Kraken. I'm your host, David Payne. who know who we killed will you. never give up our search for the truth. We will never I have no give idea. Up. It could have been a, a vacuum cleaner salesman. I never thought I'd be here 15 years later. We have everyone on now, so I'll go ahead and call the case. Case number CR19-117, United States versus Shauna Reed. Could counsel for the government and defense please make your appearance for the record? It's August of 2020. We are five months into a COVID-driven government shutdown that has our federal court systems operating like every other awkward Zoom conference call. All right, Mr. Nance. Mr. Nance, you're on mute, I think. I I apologize. Uh, I, can you hear me now? Uh, I, I don't think we... U.S. District Court Judge James Robart is on the bench conducting a status conference for the 35-year-old woman who remains the sole known person charged in the Tom Wales murder investigation, a woman named Shauna Reed. The charges against Ms. Reed are as convoluted as the investigation itself. In essence, Reed is charged with lying to a grand jury when she disavowed telling FBI investigators that she had originally told them that a former boyfriend had bragged to her about being involved with a murder of a judge or attorney on a hill in Seattle. And if you're wondering why the government is zealously pursuing such a tenuous thread, you're gonna wanna listen to this episode. But first, let's catch you up on the court proceedings against Ms. Reed and her August 4th, 2020 status conference. We're holding a status conference because we have been unable to conduct the trial in this matter. The situation in regards to jury trial is simply too ambiguous at this time. My colleague in today's COVID environment, trials in the federal court system have ground to a halt. And that means we aren't likely to see a public airing of this matter anytime soon. Unless, that is... Shauna Reed consents to a Zoom bench trial before Judge Robart. I think that the time difference between uh, bench trials and jury trials is going to be substantial. 
and uh, therefore, please at least talk to your client about the fact that that's an option. But given the rulings of this judge that we're about to talk about, that ain't going to happen. Because this was not only a status conference, it was a motions hearing, too. I believe that there are three motions pending. In the docket at 52 is defendant's motion to dismiss the indictment. In the docket at 55 is a motion to compel production of grand jury material. And lastly, in the docket at 56 is a motion for a castigar hearing. Of all of these motions, the first was the most consequential. In it, Reed's attorneys argue that prosecutors made a fatal error in swearing in Ms. Reed to the grand jury. As background, Reed had originally declined to speak to the grand jury, but the prosecution granted her immunity and obtained a court order compelling her testimony, meaning she could no longer legally invoke her Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. Unfortunately, the prosecutor, in his zealous effort to put more pressure on Ms. Reed, told her she was not only compelled to testify, but also that she must incriminate herself in front of the grand jury. Reed's defense attorney, Michael Nance, explains to the judge the flaw in that instruction. This indictment is deeply and irreparably flawed. Under the most generous view of the procedure, the government used false evidence. One, a false interpretation of the court's compulsion order that directly and adversely impacted Shauna Reed's ability to render credible testimony to the grand jury. It's one that left her conflicted over whether, on the one hand, to falsely confess her guilt to some unnamed crime, or on the other hand, to honor her oath to testify truthfully and violate a court order to incriminate herself. It was a false impression that... Nance's argument that the government committed misconduct in its explanation of the compulsion order appeared to find fertile ground with Judge Robart. Mr. Hoff, does the government admit or stipulate to the fact that the statement was made, you can no longer invoke your Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination as you have been compelled under this order to incriminate yourself to implicate yourself. Does the government stipulate that that was indeed the language that was used? Yes, Your Honor. All right. Then then let me ask this question. I think that it's self-evident that you, the government, do not take the position that that accurately explains Chief Judge Martinez's order. Is that correct? Your Honor, our position is that it's It could have been worded properly, a little bit better, probably, but that it's not an incorrect statement. You know, Mr. Hoff, I I, I teach a lot of uh, trial practice, and one of the things that I tell people is sometimes it's better to admit that you've screwed up uh, than to try and perpetuate a bad position because it colors the court's opinion of you. Would you explain to me how... But even though the court's view was colored, it was not enough to tilt the scales. And Judge Robart would ultimately decline to dismiss the indictment, concluding without any irony that the defendant failed to prove she was prejudiced by the government's misinstruction. And you can't help but wonder 
If the judge was more concerned with the impact of a dismissal on the underlying murder investigation, then he was with taking his obvious apprehensions to their more logical conclusion. In the seedy underbelly of the internet, there's an unwritten rule, rule zero. Don't fuck with cats. If you haven't seen the gripping Netflix documentary, Don't F with Cats, make a point to add it to your watch list. First, because it's so good, but second, because it will explain the person we want to introduce to you next. Hey, yeah. Kraken, uh, did you ever see Don't Fuck with Cats? I've been told I should watch it like 80 million times, and um, I haven't, though. You I, need, I need to, to watch, watch it. it. It's one of the best documentaries out there, and and they don't show any harming of cats, rest assured to you. And so the, the way my mind works... It, it's the guy we're talking to on this glorious summer day, a man we've dubbed the Kraken, in a nod to both his heritage and the new name of the Seattle hockey team, could easily have starred in the documentary about ordinary citizens who become obsessed with solving a crime they see on the internet. Yeah. I'm gonna call you yeah. the Kraken. Release the Kraken! Or is, yeah. it, un is it Unleash the Kraken? I, never I am kind of wondering what people are, like my family might be mad at me and stuff, so I don't know if it's too late. I, I might need to go buy something. No, it's fine. And the reason we're assigning this man an alias here is that the Kraken, a dedicated listener to our podcast, has apparently cracked open some key connections of Shauna Reed that have never been reported before. Well, I was asking you what's wrong with you. <laughs> and so, other than telling me what's wrong, when, when did you become interested in the case? And I want to say this was like in 2007 or 6 or something like that. I thought, wow, that's, that's really... The more I read about it, I thought, wow, it's, it's, a, it's a federal prosecutor murdered in his own house, unsolved, the first case of its type, so to speak. And I felt really sorry for the person and his family and who I don't know, and I don't know anyone related to it. I, so basically, I'm just some person. And I just started following the case. There were articles that came out over the years. In the, the Kraken may be just some person, but he's no ordinary one. He has spent countless hours trying to figure out how the FBI went from the pilot being the prime suspect to this public pressure campaign against Shauna Reed, who was just 16 years old at the time Wales was murdered, and by all accounts had nothing to do with it. Okay, so you you did the season, then you added three episodes on top of it based on the, the most recent information in the case at the time. And you heard that there was a development in the case, presumably from the Seattle Times, when Shauna Reed got arrested. Yes, so there was there was that. But there was this certain article that dropped in September of 2019. It was so subtle in its own way, but I'm like, wait, this not only says that, okay, there's Shauna Reed, her boyfriend at the time or something like that, who said they were involved with the murder. Then it says they have identified the alleged hitman. He is not being named and he is a 50-year-old Snohomish County man, and it said some things about his criminal record. It said three or four very specific things about his criminal record. So you had an age, a county, and a record. That's about it. And, and off and, he went. <laughs> and off I went, yeah. Yeah, using uh, tools that were available to the public, I don't know why, it just became a, kind of a game for me. I was able to identify who this individual 
is that the article is identifying. And for the purpose of this conversation, we're going to call him DB. Yeah, DB. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I know it's been a while, and I know we're throwing a lot of initials and aliases at you. So let's recap. Shauna Reed was dating an older man when she was in her late teens and early 20s. We have called this man by his initials, CG. CG, you may recall, was the man who was convicted in 2015 of extorting a married woman with a sex tape. And a digital copy of his phone was searched by the FBI two months prior to their 2017 interview of Miss Reed. The government was trying to work this angle at the time they told us to stand down, but wouldn't tell us why. But interestingly, based on what we're about to tell you, when we published the episode about serial killer Scott Lee Kimball's connection to this case, prosecutors granted Miss Reed immunity and ordered her to testify about her decades-old conversations with CG. This is where prosecutors got over their skis and improperly instructed Miss Reed to implicate herself. And Miss Reed appears to have gotten royally confused in her testimony, even though the government claims it was all crystal clear. But she was provided ample opportunity to explain when she met suspect number one, and she did on several occasions. There was certainly a lot of safeguards in place to make sure she understood the immunity order. We do not believe that this mischaracterization, if you will, of the, the immunity document rises to the level of a violation that would warrant dismissal of the, the indictment, Your Honor. And what, what is the sanction then? I mean, are you just telling me that it's, it's okay for the government to you know, misconstrue a judge's order and then say, well, you know, maybe we did that. It, it was inartful, but, you know, no harm, no foul. Let's put this person in jail. I want to know what the sanction is. But the judge, who was actually the person in charge of deciding what the sanction was, declined his own invitation to do anything about the government impropriety. And not to be too cynical, but that might have something to do with the fact that Ms. Reed is the conduit to the people the feds really want, CG and the alleged hitman, DB. And while neither the FBI nor the Seattle Times, whom they leaked to, will identify these people, internet sleuth The Kraken has picked up the ball and run. So I got to CG from listening to your podcast and The Times. You both talked about how the CG was involved in a extortion case in Marysville in That's 2015. Right. right, so with that information, I was able to find that court case in Marysville. Did you go through every single court case in Marysville in 2015? No, I I think that I used like something like whitepages.com and used character I used like a character search and Camino Island and Marysville, they are not huge. They're tiny. Right. And so I also had the age. Yeah. So I think I used the process of elimination combined with searching the Snohomish County Court website. So talk about how you were able to link DB from there. So the information I had to go on, a quote, quote from the Seattle Times, her son in a brief telephone interview provided the full name of the second individual, a 50-year-old Snohomish County man suspected to have shot whales. 
asked if that individual killed Wills. It says he, but CG responded, I don't know, before he hung up the phone. The only other information it gives is records show a Snohomish County man with the same name has three felony arrests for attempting to elude pursuing police twice within a month after Wills was killed. Okay, that that right there, a 50-year-old Snohomish County man with three felony arrests for attempting to elude pursuing police twice within a month after Wills was killed, that is enough to figure out who this person is if you just use the process of elimination. What I would do is I would do a query report that would give me certain range of names. I figured out the max it would feed me. And I basically had an Excel spreadsheet of, it was like thousands of names, right? And there were a few times where I thought, oh, this, this, is, this is it. This is elude. Because attempting to elude pursuing police in my list, it wasn't a really rare charge, but it was rarer than, than other things, okay? And there were, there were a couple times where I found someone with two. And while with hindsight, the Kraken says it was no big deal and the path was obvious, en route, it was anything but. And for privacy purposes, we're going to bleep some more names. So according to my notes, it looked yeah. like there was, you weren't sure of some unknown s- subject who was an associate of <laughs> At one point, you thought it might be <laughs> another one yeah. of <laughs> associates. Allegedly, allegedly. That was wrong. That was completely wrong. I think maybe they, that that was just like my first taste of finding someone with an attempting to elude, thinking it was. And I, I am an amateur here. I, I, I really am. I mean, I mean, uh, don't sell maybe not, short. not now. Don't yeah, sell yourself yeah, but, short, brother. But, but uh, yeah. So I don't. God, yeah. So, and by the way, I, I mean, I'm not doing this to like, you know, I'm just doing this so I know. Like the article, I mean, has this big reveal in that they actually have a suspect. And you know what? I want to know who it was. That's really all it was. But the Kraken's curiosity would get the best of him, as it wasn't enough for him to try to figure out who the alleged hitman, DB, was. He needed to understand the connections between DB and CG, Shauna Reed, and maybe even the pilot. So once I had that, I looked on social media, social media, Facebook. Yeah. And this person does have a public profile and some of his family members also have public profiles, including his daughter. And his daughter was kind of a a better source of photos for him because she has some photos of herself when she was younger, meaning it was in the early 2000s around the time of the murder. So you can see earlier pictures of DB. And in one of the photos, There's photos where this person totally matches the sketch. I mean, now, present day, no. I mean, he he really he really doesn't. He's but but I mean, it was 20 years ago. The sketch he's referring to is a sketch the FBI had commissioned a whole two and a half years after the murder of a person who was seen near Wales's house in the days or weeks before the murder. According to the FBI, the person depicted in the sketch had asked a neighbor of Tom's for directions, and the neighbor said the man then ignored the directions he was given. Suspicious, the neighbor circled the block and saw the man up on Tom Wales' porch moments later. And the Kraken's right. The sketch of this man does look like an old picture of DB posted on his daughter's Facebook page. 
And for what it's worth, the Seattle Times also notes what it calls a, quote, resemblance of the sketch to a Department of Corrections photo of DB. And coincidences, if that's what they really were, would not stop there. Remember the Gidget letter? This was the letter mailed by a person in Las Vegas, claiming that they were the hitman and that they had been hired by a, quote, nice-talking lady to do the job. So DB has a brother named AB. Yep. Who, by the way, lived in Las Vegas for a short amount of time, around the 2005 timeline. And uh, it says on his Facebook, AB, that he went to the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And so he's obviously lived there off and on. I find that to be interesting. Because the Gidget letter, back to the Gidget letter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So AB, who was DB's brother, had a post in 2018, and it says something like, miss the old crew. And you can see that Richard Reed Sr. liked it, like just, you know, liked it. So, and that's... Richard Reed Sr. is Shauna Reed's father. So this is really interesting. I'll make sure we capture this because you had identified DB... We have a uh, an indicted woman named Shauna Reed. Uh-huh. You start looking at DB's connections. You find a brother in Las Vegas. You look at yeah. all his pictures, and you find a like from a guy named Richard Reed. Yeah, and you can click on Richard Reed, and it's it's the Richard Reed that's associated with Shauna Reed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you must Absolutely. be like you must be like Bingo. Yeah, I was like bingo. Yeah, absolutely. I was like bingo, and this is... But if you've ever played bingo, you know a single connection is never enough to win the game. You have to get a whole row of random and disparate numbers to align. So on the podcast, one of the first topics you touched was something that wasn't in any of the news articles or whatever, uh, the media about it. Basically saying that in Alaska, now convicted serial killer Scott Lee Kimball came forward and said, you know, this guy I'm jailed up with here knows something about the Tom Wales case. And uh, I'll work with you on this if, if you let me out. And so they did. And they let him out and he was supposedly working on the case with him and nothing ever came of it, but he did kill a few people while he was out. So that's really tragic and unfortunate, but it turns out... The, the Kraken was- is also right about the fact that our podcast detailed this weird connection between serial killer Scott Lee Kimball and the Wales death investigation, as well as the FBI's indisputable mismanagement of their confidential asset. But the jury's out on whether nothing ever came from Kimball's leads because we didn't play for you all of the details of our calls with Kimball. We held some stuff back. But now that the Kraken has moved the story forward, we're gonna play more of our 2018 interview with Kimball. Because a full year before Shauna Reed was arrested, Kimball was giving us this never before reported story about some guy named Jeremiah. Prepaid call from Scott Kimball, an inmate at a Colorado correctional facility. And so, what did Jeremiah tell you about the Wales case? He was telling me that somebody had wanted Wales dead, and they had hired his street gang to do the job, and he indicated that he was involved in it. 
and explained that they'd stake him out and shot him through a window of his house, then hauled ass out of town and threw the gun into a river that flows underneath I-5. Had you ever heard of Tom Wales before this conversation with Jeremiah? Yeah, we. Uh, I was in the, the um, cell with him in the pod, the, the prison pod where the cells have their daytime. I was actually in a newspaper, whatever the Anchorage paper was, that the pod got the paper. And there was a small little clipping in there, and I was sitting at the table reading about it. I had commented about it, and that's when he chimed in and said, oh, yeah, this is that guy right there. So that's how that's how it was brought, brought up. Who is Jeremiah? He was a guy that, that was in prison. For what? No, I have no idea. I don't remember what he was in prison for. Gang banging drugs from my guy. And what was your interaction with him? Uh, we were just cellmates. And do you remember Do you remember Jeremiah's last name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you say you remember his last name? Yes. Pat Johnson. Okay. Sort of describe Jeremiah for us. He was about, I want to say, 5'11", 6 foot, maybe 190 pounds, brown curly hair, white tattoos. Did Jeremiah ever share with you who had hired him and why they wanted him dead? From the way I understand, I didn't get a name, but I understood that it was somebody who had a personal vendetta against Wales, and it was somebody who had, he had a past with. And it sounds to me like it was something personal, like maybe he prosecuted somebody or something of that nature. But it was like uh, this person had a real hatred for him. And was there anything that he said about that crime that the FBI was able to corroborate or verify? I think they were able to cooperate quite a bit of it because they spent a lot of money and resources flying me around and flying me back and forth and putting me in a hotel room and giving me money and rental cars and, you know, sending many aides down to budget hotel room and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Were you wearing a wire when you met? Would you meet with Jeremiah while you were in? No, uh, they, no they, they, had the, they had the room already set up. I wasn't wearing a wire because I told them I'm not going to wear a wire and have somebody, you know, uh, ask me to strip down or frisk me and find it. And were they trying to get you to do anything other than just keep meeting with Jeremiah? Yeah, they wanted to meet with Jeremiah and they wanted me to go and hang out in his neighborhood and go meet some of his uh, gangbanger buddies and different things like that. And, and uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't down for that because it was, the downtime was just so, there was nothing to do. And I finally just told them I'm done with you. Can you share with us some of the questions or areas that they wanted to know about and they asked you about? It would just be generalizing because I think it was stuff like, did Jeremiah tell you that he he was involved in killing a big fish? And the whole big fish was because his name was a whale, like a whale, and a whale is a big fish. And that's how the conversation came up, that he killed a big fish. Did you believe Jeremiah, what he was talking about? Or did you think he was just boasting or it was... Bullshit. Bullshit. Well, no, he seemed really credible because he was really careful about how he said it. And um, I think if he would have been bragging where he was just bragging, he'd just blurt out a bunch of stuff that wasn't even worried about incriminating himself. But everything he said to me was trying to, like, mask it and, you know, put it in a way where there would be deniability on his end. Even at the time when it was aired in your podcast, it sounds like, oh, BS, yeah. And especially when you line it up with how Scott Lee Kimball killed all these people. I was in the same camp as the Kraken. 
It's hard to take anything Kimball says at face value with his track record and all. But here's the truth. Kimball was right about one thing. The FBI is like a dog with a bone. Once he gets that idea of that bone in his mouth, you can't get him to look at you, you can't get him to roll over And the bone they have locked in their jaw right now is Shauna Reed. Because they must believe she can give them CG, and CG can give them DB, and maybe even Scott Lee Kimball's cellmate in Alaska, a man named Jeremiah Johnson, whom Kimball claims confessed to being involved in the murder. So I'm like, okay, it sounds like a made-up name, whatever. But when I was looking at DB's daughter, she has her Facebook profile set up so you can see her friends. She has a friend named Jeremiah Johnson who lives in Alaska. Oh, what are the odds of that? What are I the mean, odds? I will also add that perhaps the Reeds and DB and his brother AB they do seem to have some ties to like the fishing, which happens in Washington, you know, and Alaska. And a lot, a lot of those people, they'll go back and forth, you know, and, and, and they fish in both, both areas or the, or at least they live down, down in, <laughs> down in Washington state part of the year and they live in Alaska. Part of the year. So, so there's that, there's that aspect of it. And it just like the picture I'm getting is like, and of course there's also the aspect that Kimball says Jeremiah told him he had caught a big fish a.k.a. whales. And if you're thinking, well, maybe it's all just a coincidence that D.B.'s daughter has a Facebook friend from Alaska named Jeremiah Johnson, and maybe he's not the Jeremiah Johnson Kimball was talking about, the Kraken has pulled Anchorage arrest records that show a man named Jeremiah Johnson was indeed locked up at the same time as Kimball. And this Jeremiah Johnson spells his name the same curious way as D.B.'s daughter's Facebook friend, J-E-R-N-O-E-M-I-A-H. So I'm making all these connections and I'm like, and I'm just going to myself, am I just this crazy bastard? You know, well, no, but like, it's like amazing the stuff I'm, and I'm like sitting here going like, okay, I'm sure the FBI knows this, like, because, and I still am, you know, sure they do, I think. So yeah, so that that's a crazy connection. And yes, of course the FBI knows about these connections. And we know that based on their actions. So let's back up again and review the chronology. Immediately after the murder, multiple people around Tom Wales told investigators they should look at the pilot for the murder and focus turned on him right away. The problem then, as now, was that he had an alibi confirmed telephone calls placed either to or from his residence at the time of the murder. That meant that if he was in fact involved, he must have had an accomplice, leading to the hitman theory. A year later, they get a tip from a convincing sociopath in Alaska that his cellmate, a guy named Jeremiah Johnson, says his crew was hired for the hit. This lead goes nowhere when Kimball gets bored and can't get Jeremiah to confess on tape. And it loses even more steam when it turns out Scott Lee Kimball has been playing the FBI and killing people while doing so. Two years later, the FBI belatedly learns about a suspicious person in Tom Wales' neighborhood. The FBI immediately contacts the eyewitness and commissions a sketch. 
It's of a white man in his late 30s or early 40s, 5'7 to 5'10 with a slim build, black hair, and tobacco-stained teeth. And he was wheeling behind him a small black nylon suitcase. Here's NBC's Sarah James asking Agent Bob Giesling about that person over a decade ago. Do you believe that the person carrying or rolling the suitcase behind him was the murderer of Tom Wales? I have no idea. What we're looking for is just to talk to a person who fits the description to find out what they were doing. They could have been a a vacuum cleaner salesman. Lo and behold, the so-called vacuum cleaner salesman bears more than a passing resemblance to D.B., an associate of one Jeremiah Johnson, who they've been trying to record confessing to Scott Lee Kimball. My personal guess is that they start looking at all of the other associates of both Jeremiah Johnson and D.B., which leads them to C.G., who was dating Miss Shauna Reed. But still, the leads go nowhere, despite a million-dollar reward. And it's either because the suspects are smart, or maybe it's because they had nothing to do with it. Or maybe, just maybe, it's because the FBI knows this whole angle started with Kimball. And whoa, that's a steaming pile of dew to stir up after he kills four people under their watch. And on that point, it's probably worth hearing from Scott Lee Kimball again. Because an associate of ours, an investigative journalist named Jordan Michael Smith, is working on a new story about Kimball right now. And Smith has gotten a second bite at the apple on this part of the tale. I have a prepaid call from Scott Kimball, an inmate at a Colorado correctional facility. So when you approach the FBI, they just bought everything? Yeah, they asked me questions. I would watch all these guys, and I could read their body language as far as if I was going down the trail that they wanted me to go down. For example, um, then I came up with a story that said, hey, listen, do you remember that a U.S. attorney by the name of Thomas Wales who was murdered? And I said, yeah, we're trying to solve the case. I said, well, I have information about that. And then all of a sudden, they like pulled me out of my cell and bought me pizza and treated me like an executive. And so they're like believing all that stuff. And like, well, hey, can we... I would if we can get you to meet up with this guy. So I would, I would tell me, yeah, we'll contact him. They flew me up to Seattle. So they would say, well, we got this tape recorder. We want you to tape your calls. So I'd buy a virgin phone. I'd take 50 bucks, tear it in half. I'd go find a homeless guy and I'd say, listen, I'm going to call, I'm going to uh, uh, call you. You call me back and you read the script to me. And once you read the script, I'll answer some questions. I'm going to drive back and give you the other half of this 50 bucks and get my phone back. And I turned over the FBI as a suspect. And it didn't exist. I just kept, kept telling him stuff and telling him stuff and telling him stuff. I set up on wild goose chases. And as wild goose chases go, this one appears to be a 19-year-old doozy. When you think about it now, and, and think about how he told this to the FBI back when, you know, the conspiracy to commit murder wasn't on the table. And why would it be that they were focused on other avenues or the pilot carrying it out himself and things like that? So they were like a hitman, you know, what? Like, you know, but now that's kind of a strange coincidence, is it not? 
We don't know when the FBI knew about these conversations between CG and Shauna Reed that happened in the mid 2000s, right? That are the subject of this indictment. But it's it's possible, I would think, that the timeline looks like this. Scott Lee Kimball is taken out of jail. Mm-hmm. Scott Lee Kimball is a convincing liar. They believed him, right? It's, there's evidence that they obviously thought there was some credit to be given to him, otherwise they wouldn't have let him out of jail. Jeremiah Johnson comes down, bobs and weaves, smart enough not to say anything to get him in trouble. But now the feds start looking at Jeremiah Johnson's crew. That to me is a plausible scenario. It still doesn't answer the question of whether they have any nexus between this group of people and the pilot, who they still believe is their prime suspect. So then you have to think, well, now not only do you have this kind of loose thing going on that was probably started with Scott Lee Kimball, but then you have no connection to the pilot's orbit or his girlfriend. Yeah. Well, yeah, and if 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 the FBI's theory is that the pilot's girlfriend at the time acted as the intermediary to to contract out the hit on Tom Wills, then why do they think that? It's, right. Is that just like all they have to, to come up with or is it something more solid than that? And I'm afraid the answer to that question will have to wait because we don't know when the courts are gonna open up again for criminal trials. The only thing we do know for sure is that given the road they are on now, the government will not stop the pressure campaign against Ms. Shauna Reed in the meantime. Mr. Hoff, thank you for interrupting your vacation. Mr. Nance, Mr. Gumbiner, someday I guess I'll get to see you again in court. In the meantime, uh, this hearing will be in recess. Thank you very much, counsel. Thank you, Your Honor. Life's a foolish game. Do you ever feel the same? Well, maybe we could change. Turn the ship another way. Feel it in the darkness. Hey, Somebody Somewhere listeners, stay tuned after the credits as we have a special treat today. We've been hard at work on season three of the podcast. It's about the unsolved death of yet another federal prosecutor. And this story has as many twists and turns as the Wales case. Listen to the trailer right after these credits. Somebody Somewhere is written and produced by Jody Gottlieb and me. It is a production of Rainstream Media Incorporated. Sound design, editing, and mixing has been provided by Resonate Recordings. Check them out at ResonateRecordings.com. A Foolish Game is written and performed by Snowflake, and original score and voiceover work is provided by Halle Payne. Social media videos and artwork provided by Kendall Payne. If you have any information regarding the Tom Wales case, please contact us via our website, sbswpodcast.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. Thank you for listening. It's been 10 years since a federal prosecutor was found dead in rural Lancaster County. They don't want the public to look at this. Was he trying to stage some sort of attack and went too far? The last person that wants Jonathan Luna to be killed was my client. You talk about a shit show. And that's the last time I saw Jonathan alive. 
I'm a crook, you're a crook, he's a crook, everybody's a crook in prison. In all the years I've been here, I've never seen anything like this. He said, man, I be praying in the spirit and I see things. So, you know, we like, yeah, all right, whatever. And none of us is defined by the worst things we've ever done. Jonathan is, like, really pressing me to work this case out. Man, you talking about trying to walk in some shoes. Coming in February 2021, season three of Somebody Somewhere, The Luna Case. I'm your host, David Payne.